Amen. Thank you so much. Take your Bibles, if you would, tonight. Turn to Second Chronicles chapter number 8. Second Chronicles chapter number 8. This morning we uh, preached a bit about uh, David and his desire to uh, build the temple and his preparation. And we talked about the, the subject of consecration and many, many devoted themselves to the work of the Lord. And, um, but it was given not to David to actually build the temple, but it was given to his son Solomon. And uh, Solomon indeed uh, followed through on that dream, uh, that vision that God gave to his father. And uh, we'll learn a little bit about that uh, tonight and uh, take our text in that vicinity of the Scriptures. Second Chronicles in chapter uh, number 8. And uh, stand with me, please, for the reading of the Word of God. I'm going to read a little bit, and then I'm going to ask you to join me uh, when we get down to verse 11, and we'll read several verses together there. It came to pass at the end of 20 years, wherein Solomon had built the house of the Lord and his own house, that the cities which Huram had restored to Solomon, Solomon built them and caused the children of Israel to dwell there. Those cities were a gift from Solomon to uh, Huram had done a lot. He, the, the wood, so, so much of the manufacturing of the temple, the building of the temple was because of his uh, generosity. And so Solomon gave him some cities and they were basically not much more than villages. He said, you can keep them. <laughs> and uh, so Solomon said, well, let me invest in those cities and you know, make them worthwhile, make them a, a worthwhile gift. And so and then in verse number three, Solomon went to, Hamath Zobah and prevailed against it. This is the only war mentioned in the scripture that Solomon fought. It was a northernmost city up near Damascus, and it was strategic in trade. Whoever controlled that northernmost would control a trade route. And so he knew that he had to have that city, and so he took that city. And other than that, he, they had no wars his entire reign. And I only mention of, 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 of a war here, and just obviously very briefly. And so he, he built some strategic places along the way. Tadmor is mentioned in verse 4 in the wilderness, and that had to do with the trade route and all the store cities which he built in Hamath. And he built Beth Horon, the upper, and Beth Horon, the nether, fin cities with walls, gates, and bars, and Baalath, and all the store cities that Solomon had, and all the chariot cities, and the cities of the horsemen, and all that Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem, and in Lebanon, and throughout all the land of his dominion. As for all the people that were left of the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which were not of Israel, but of their children who were left after them in the land, whom the children of Israel consumed not, them did Solomon make to pay tribute until this day. But of the children of Israel did Solomon make no servants for his work, but they were men of war, chief of his captains, and captains of his chariots and horsemen. And these were the chief of King Solomon's officers, even 250 that bear rule over the people. Our text tonight comes from the next verse. I want you to read it aloud with me. Verse 11. Ready? And Solomon brought up the daughter of Pharaoh out of the city of David under the house that he had built for her. For he said, My wife shall not dwell in the house of David, king of Israel, because the places are holy, whereinto the ark of the Lord 
hath come. I'll come back to that. Then Solomon offered burnt offerings unto the Lord on the altar of the Lord, which he had built there, uh, which he had built before the porch, even after a certain rate every day. It's consistent in his worship. Offering according to the commandment of Moses on the Sabbath, on the new moons, on the solemn feast, three times of the year, even the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of the Weeks, the Feast of Tabernacles. And he appointed according to the order of David, his father, the courses of the priests to their service, and the Levites to their charges, to praise and minister before the priests as the duty of every day required, the porters also by their courses at every gate. For so had David, the man of God, commanded. Without your turning to it, I read for you in Romans 2, 28 29. For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, we read these words, Who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. I want to speak to you on inward separation and outward separation. Father, please, through the power of your Holy Spirit, bring this truth home to my heart, to our hearts. Here tonight. And may you find, as we spoke this morning, a people who have set themselves apart unto you in full consecration and full devotion, not just publicly, but both publicly and privately. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, you're open to 2 Chronicles chapter 8. I want you to turn back to chapter 7. 2 Chronicles and chapter number 7. We read David's public prayer in our text this morning and another beautiful prayer, incredibly, uh, just incredible prayers recorded. Uh, Solomon actually built a scaffold, seven and a half by seven and a half feet uh, square. And uh, forgive me, I think it was, I think it was four and a half feet high. And he knelt down publicly in front of the, for the whole nation and he lifted his hand, so he, to uh, be, it'd be higher than this, but it'd be in approximation to this uh, portion of the platform that uh, is, uh, jets, jets out here. But he knelt, the Bible said, and he lifted his hands toward heaven, and he prayed publicly to God. And public worship, public adoration, public thanksgiving, things of which we spoke this morning that he'd seen his father do. And he was sincere in that. It was, it was not disingenuous at all. And we find the validation for that and, um, in, ver- in chapter 7. Because at the end of that very public worship, the Bible says in chapter 7, verse 1, Now when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priests could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. I mean, it, it, it got on. How about that? It got on. I mean, God was there. And it was thick. 
And it was so thick the priests couldn't do their job. All they could do is just worship, weep before God. Verse 3, And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, For He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. And the king, King Solomon, offered a sacrifice of 20 and 2,000 oxen. I, uh, I asked uh, Brother Google how much a full-grown oxen is worth right now. So anyway, for better or for worse, that was somewhere around $30 million he spent. That's a lot of oxen. How many of you cooked a turkey this week? Cooked a turkey. All right, you know, the, cook, the turkey is already harvested. It's frozen for us. All we got to do is thaw it, right? But just the preparation of one turkey. Getting the turkey, getting it right, getting the fryer right, getting it in there, getting it out, getting it carved up. You know, it's a little work to get that Thanksgiving meal going, wasn't it? Can you imagine 22,000 oxen? That's, that's a lot of chopping, that's a lot of eating, that's a lot of everything. 120,000 sheep. That's about $6 million worth of sheep they harvested. And they feed a lot of people. This is a feast. This is a feast. Now, and then he talks about the music in verse number 6. And verse 12, And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night. After all that, after that public worship and prayer, the fire of God came down. Solomon is, is inspired. and He has a great feast and sacrifices thousands of animals to the Lord. All the nation falls on their face, overwhelmed by the goodness and presence of God. I mean, these folks are sincere. Do you see this? They're sincere. They love God. They want to do right. God comes to Solomon and in the night appears to him and gives to him a beautiful, beautiful thought. And our our, our Second Chronicles 7, 14 is God's response to this great display of worship and love and prayer and sacrifice. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, heal their land. In that context, God gave that promise to Solomon. Then we get to chapter 8. And it came to pass at the end of 20 years. Now we know this, the, the temple, building of the temple took 7 years, 13 years for Solomon to build his palace for a total of 20 years. It came to pass at the end of 20 years wherein Solomon had built the house of the Lord and his own house that this historical record, which we've already gone over, takes place. And tucked in this historical record, a battle over here, for a strategic city, strengthening these ten cities, the trade route, making subservient the uh, leftovers of the Canaanites and Hivites, so forth, this uh, into servitude in the kingdom, the people would be in places of leadership, and so on and so forth. Then there's a little parenthesis here. Solomon goes down to Egypt and gets a wife. Look at it again in verse 11. And Solomon brought up the daughter of Pharaoh out of the city of David, under the house that he had built for her. For he said, My wife shall not dwell in the house of David, king of Israel, because the places are holy. Hey, let me help you something. If you can't bring your girlfriend to church, she probably ain't the right girl. He said, I'm going to go get me a wife. I'm going to bring her up here. I'm going to make a little special house for her because I, I can't really bring her, you know, to 
the house of David, because that wouldn't be right. Because that's the house of David is holy. Hint, hint, Solomon. Maybe we need to rethink this transaction. My wife shall not dwell in the house of David, king of Israel, because the places are holy whereunto the ark of the Lord had come. Now, right after that little, seemed like a little parenthesis in this, in this, in this uh, uh, little historical uh, uh, section here, it goes right back to Solomon's sincerity. Verse 12, very next verse, Solomon offered burnt offerings. Uh, uh, verse 13, he did it every day. He, he put all the Levites in order, uh, put all the priests in order, did exactly what instructions his father given. He's very meticulous, follow me now, very meticulous in his public display of worship and devotion to his God. He would not bring paganism into his father's house, but he brought it into his bedchamber. The warning is given all the way back in Deuteronomy 7, 3 and 4. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you, and destroy thee suddenly. God knew hundreds of years before he warned of this very thing. You don't, you don't make unholy alliances. This is reiterated in 2 Corinthians 16 in the New Testament, uh, where, where the, uh, where the Lord, uh, uh, rather 6, 2 Corinthians 6, where he says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What are you going to talk about? If you're trying to live right and you yoke up with someone who's not right, what are you going to talk about? What are you going to fellowship about? What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? What part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, here's the application. Here's the application. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you. And I will be a father unto you. He's not talking about salvation. He's talking to save people. I will be a father unto you and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. It's what you do when you're proud of your kid. That's my boy right there. And when you're not proud, you say, Mama, get your son. <laughs> and uh, that's what he's talking about. Solomon was very faithful in his public worship. But not so in his personal relationships. In 1 Kings 11, now that's back this way in your Bible, but it's forward as far as chronology goes. The Bible says this King Solomon loved many strange women. It didn't stop with Pharaoh's daughter. Together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said to the children of Israel, You shall not go into them, neither shall they come into you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. And they turned, just as God said they would, his heart away from his God. Now, here's what I want to contrast. The, 
we have here one chapter where the fire of God comes down from heaven. You cannot say that Solomon's public worship was disingenuous. It was the real deal. The fire of God came down. The presence of God was so thick that the priests could not even do their job. It put all the people on their faces prostrate on the ground before God worshiping and praising and glorifying God. Solomon's worship was indeed sincere. But he put a little exception clause in his life. He said, I, I, don't, I can't read his mind, but perhaps... He said, you know, everything's good out here. And this is, this, is, this is my personal life. It became popular a few presidencies ago to say, well, what you do in your private life doesn't matter. You cannot separate your private life from your public life, friend. If you lie privately, then it doesn't matter how honest you appear publicly. If you can't be trusted with the door shut, how can you be trusted with the door open? You can't separate the two. Let me make some statements tonight. Number one, the matter of separation is not merely for public display, but for private dedication. The matter of separation is not merely for public display, but for private dedication. Now, mark my words. I'm for separation. I'm for believers being separated under their God. That's what we talked about this morning. I'm for consecration. I'm for devotion to God. But my dear friend, the, the first the first matter at hand, the, the first purpose... I, there, yes, a public separation has a purpose. It makes us testimony for God. But, but listen, first and foremost, it's not for, uh, uh, it's, not, it's not a public matter. It's a private matter. It's a personal matter between you and your God. Some years ago, at a birthday party, a member of this church was given a bag of trinkets, little party favors. And in the party favors was some flavored lips, uh, chapstick. And so the, the host of the party was giving out little, all the kids, you got to get a little bag and you get your little your party hat or whatever, and flavored chapstick. And when one of the children pulled the flavored chapstick out of the bag, a mother reached over and said, my children don't wear lipstick. Now that's fine. If you don't want your child to wear flavored chapstick, help yourself. But if that's the way you feel, number one, don't be rude about it. But here's the kicker. At that very moment, that same person was being immoral and unfaithful to their marriage vows. At the very moment. Now let me tell you something. It doesn't matter how you present yourself. You can say, well, we're so holy, we won't use chapstick. Congratulations. If that's what you want to do, you, you help yourself. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not against that. You know, well, I, I just don't want to go there with my kids because I don't want my, you know, okay, fine, praise the Lord. Good, help yourself. Banish Vaseline if you want to. I don't care what you do. But, but, but listen to me. If your concern is appearing to be devoted to God, while in your heart you're far from Him, you've missed the boat. Separation is not merely for public display. It's for private dedication. Number two, the manner of separation is not merely for a season of life. Look at verse 1 again. And it came to pass at the end of 20 years. At the end of 20 years. 
20 years has gone by. 20 years Solomon has been faithful as far as we know. This is the, this is the, uh, this is the first record. He wound up with a thousand of them. Uh, seven uh, hundred, or I forgot what it was. Seven hundred wives and three hundred part timers, uh, concubines or vice, I don't know, whatever. He had a thousand total. He had a bunch. He had a whole harem. But in the scripture, now the Bible doesn't say this explicitly in the scripture. But this is the first record of a marriage, so we can assume that this was his first wife. But for twenty years. Solomon, maybe it wasn't. We don't know the Bible doesn't say. But it's the first record of it. So, but for 20 years, we'll assume for 20 years, he had a good faithful testimony privately and publicly. But here he got to a place in his life and maybe he thought, you know, I, I built the temple. Man, we've glorified God. I've sacrificed and we've done all this. And you know, I, you know, this, and, 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 you know, you can read historians and historians say that Solomon, uh, 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 you know, he, he did that for political purposes. He only fought one battle and it wasn't really a big battle. It wasn't really a big place. He conquered. He didn't fight. His David fought. His father David fought and fought and fought and fought and fought. But Solomon didn't. He said, you know, I don't want my dad fought enough. Enough blood has been shed. Let me, let me, see, let me try a negotiation. And, why, you know, and, and so you can say, well, historically, you know, it was accepted for kings because uh, a king would marry, you know, uh, another king's daughter. So she would become a queen. So that king would really have a hard time attacking a kingdom where his own daughter was a queen. Okay, maybe there's some truth to that. I'm sure there probably is. But that don't make it right. And the Bible said he loved many strange women. And so, so Solomon, for, for, we can assume for a 20-year period of his life, he, his, his private worship, his public worship, his private consecration, his private separation, his public consecration, his public separation were in harmony. But he got to a place where he said, I can, I can do this because this is my private life. And he made an exception. The matter of separation is not for public display, merely for public display, but for private education. Number two, the matter of separation is not merely for a season of life. Here he says at verse number uh, one of chapter eight, he's after 20 years, at the end of 20 years. So for 20 years, he lived separated under God. Seven years building the temple, 13 years building the palace. Remember said to me years ago, Pastor, you know, we've always wanted to rear our kids in a fundamental church. And we've done that. Our children, grown now, they love the Lord. So we just want you to know we're not upset, we're not mad or anything, but we're going we're gonna to find, we don't really have a church like this near where we live, but we, 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 we just, we're going to find something a little closer. Now, we, we're not going to change what we believe now, Pastor. We still, want you, we're not, we still believe the same way. We still, we're fundamentally, but, but we're just going to, now, can I help you with something? How about this? How about we remain consecrated and devoted and separated in our public life and private life our whole life long? How about that? How about let's have the same example to our grandchildren and perhaps great-grandchildren that we gave to our children while we were trying to rear them? Amen? Separation is not for a season of life. A good man, a good man. Dedicated, and I would say probably the spiritual anchor of his home. Sold everything he had and went on the road. And as far as I know, for the last 15 years, he's lived on the road. And a good man. I'm not criticizing this man. I hope nobody in this room has any clue who I'm talking about. 
But I, I cannot help but think, as I've watched for the last 15 years, and I'm not saying that he's solely responsible. He's responsible for his decision. But it hasn't boded well for his grandchildren. It has not gone well for his grandchildren. You know what? I, you know, you, you, let, let me say, uh, Calvin, when you get old and your hair falls out, <laughs> let's just be doing what we've been doing. You know? Now, Michael, I'm sure Michael will get married. I don't know about Noah, but anyway, I know Michael will get married. She'll have children. Uh, Keegan, well, anyway. Uh, but let's just keep doing what we've been doing. If it's good for this stage of life, it'll be good for the next stage of life. Amen? Yes. Number three, here's another thought. Faithfulness in public worship does not atone for unfaithfulness in private behavior. <laughs> Faithfulness in public worship does not atone for unfaithfulness in private behavior. And by the way, may, may I say this? You ought, to have, you ought to have enough respect for God and for His people. If you don't have enough respect for yourself, you ought to have enough respect for God and enough respect for God's people not to participate in the public worship in this church if you know you're living in sin. This, if you're struggling, if you're struggling, that, that is what my heart loves to do is to help folk. My wife has the same heart. We want to help anybody that's struggling, anybody that needs help. If you have personal struggles, struggles in your home, struggles in your family, we will not condescend to you. We will not look down upon you. We will not uh, uh, betray your confidence. But but listen, if you know if you know you're not right, then you need to just come say, Pastor, right now I probably should. I don't need to teach Sunday school. Right now I don't. I should not be singing in the choir. Right now I should not be uh, 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 Pastor. Does that not sound ethical to God's people tonight? Listen, listen. You, you, if, if separation is of the heart, the verses that we read in Romans 2, 28 and 29, for a Jewish male, circumcision was the irreversible, irrevocable symbol of his personal separation unto God. And separation is first and foremost unto God. It is my personal consecration and devotion to God. And if I have betrayed that in my private life, then I don't need to. Listen, I'm not saying don't quit church. I'm not saying that. But I don't need to stand up and and portray one thing while something else is going on in my private life. That's what King Saul wanted to do. King Saul... I was up in front. I've, I've illustrated this many times. King Saul was up in front of everybody. Stand up for just a minute. <clears throat> you'll, you'll be the prophet Samuel. I'll be King Saul. And King Saul's up in front of everybody. He's disobeyed. And uh, Samuel comes walking up. He said, I obeyed the voice of the Lord. Nobody asked him, but he said, I obeyed, I obeyed. He's already defending himself. Nobody's even asking a question. About that time, God pinched one of those sheep and a, and a cow. Yeah. And Sam said, what's the, what's the cow out here over there? The sheep over there. And Saul says, all the people, you know how the people are. <laughs> they, want to, they want to keep the best sheep. And I, I didn't want mine. It was their idea. And, you know, and so he blames and so forth like that. And he's up in front of everybody. And the, and, uh, and the classic say, 
To obey is better than sacrifice. Remember that? First Samuel 15, I believe we're in. First Samuel 15. To obey is better than sacrifice. The hearken to the fat rams. He turns to the prophet. He says, listen, what, worship with me. Now, he, look, he's in a public setting. He's in front of everybody. He just made excuses for his disobedience. The man of God calls him out and says, basically, you're, you're in rebellion, iniquity, which is like witchcraft. <laughs> I mean, he just called him out. And what does Saul do? Oh, forgive me. Oh, God, forgive me. No. He makes excuses. He backpedals, blames. He says, I'm sorry, but look, listen, everybody's watching. Okay, let's, let's, can we worship together? And Saul says, I'm not going to worship with you. He turns to walk away and, excuse me, Samuel says, I'm not going to worship with you. Saul literally grabs him and tears his cloak. He loses it. He snaps. Samuel is just about to ruin his public image by walking away publicly. Everybody's watching him. And he turns to walk away and he grabs him. He says, man, worship with me. The man of God turns back around and the Bible says, you go back and read it, it says that Saul is the one that worshiped. Samuel had no part of it. He watched. When Saul got done with his public display of worship, Samuel says, in so many words, are you done? Agag, the king, the symbol of his disobedience, who was supposed to be destroyed, along with all the sheep and oxen and everything else, is still standing there. And Samuel takes a sword and hacks Agag in pieces in front of God and everybody. Thank you. To say, to obey is better than that charade. That's what he's illustrating. To obey is better than sacrifice. You see, faithfulness in public worship does not atone for unfaithfulness in private behavior. Listen, I know the Bible said a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. I want, if you've fallen, I want you to get back up. I want you to be restored. But keep in mind, listen, restoration, restoration to God, consecration to God, devotion to God begins with that heart issue, personal devotion, personal consecration to God. Too many of uh, Too many times Christians want to be restored. They want their name restored, want their reputation restored, want their position restored. They want the admiration of others restored. Hey, listen, how about just sweet fellowship with God? Let that be enough. And let God, in His due time, in His way, exalt the humble one. Number four, public worship. Listen very carefully to the statement. I hope you'll understand what I'm trying to say. Public worship. Without personal separation is not always disingenuous, but it falls short of its goal. Public worship without personal separation is not always disingenuous, but it falls short of its goal. You see, worship is for Him. Amen? You with me? Worship is for Him. God Himself is the object of our worship. Worship is not first, and this is what's wrong with much of uh, Christianity today and, and the philosophies that are being promoted. Worship is not first about my experience. It's about His. You understand that? It's not, it's not, oh, I feel so good about loving God. It's that, I, God, I love God. Amen. I want Him to be adored. I want Him to be glorified. I want Him to be magnified. 
So public worship without personal separation is not always and not entirely disingenuous, but it falls short of its goal. I can promise you this. I can promise you this. As we come together any given service and we sing, I enjoyed the song service tonight. Amen. Thank you so much. The, the specials, the choir, everything. I enjoyed the music tonight. And I sang as you did, and, and, and we ought to sing God's worthy of our praise, whether we feel like singing or not. Amen. But the truth is this, sometimes we sing, and, and, and you know what? Even while we're singing, God's kind of pointing stuff out in our own hearts, right? Sure. I, I'm not saying, that, I'm not saying that, it, that, that, that any public worship or public separation, ha, having convictions and standards publicly is disingenuous because something's not right in your heart. The truth is there's not a one among us that has some things right in there that need to be cleaned up. Amen. But I am saying this, let us not miss the point of it all. The point is that it's for him. Hypocrisy is not resolved by weakening what is strong. Hypocrisy is not resolved by weakening where we are strong. If okay, if I if I am if I okay if I look like a Christian and I talk like a Christian, but in my heart are some things that, that are not right. That would be hypocrisy. Is that right? So how do I fix that? Dirty up the outside, so it matches the dirty inside. No. How about this? How about clean up the inside? Amen. Clean up the inside. One of the detrimental philosophies of, of, that's permeating much of Christian circles today is that the, 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 the greatest thing you could be is a non-hypocrite. Well, can, can I help you? Hypocrisy is when the outside doesn't match the inside. That means you can have a dirty outside and a clean inside and be a hypocrite, or you can have a clean outside and a dirty inside and be a hypocrite. So guess what? The guy that's dirty inside and the guy that's dirty outside, we could say, well, he's genuine. Yeah, he's genuinely dirty. And the guy that's clean inside and clean outside is genuine. He's genuinely right. Amen? The goal is not just to be, I don't want to be a hypocrite. The goal is to be genuinely in love with Jesus Christ. Amen? Clean inside and clean out. So if you find yourself weak in an area... Don't strengthen that area. If, 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 okay, you know what some of God's people knew knew tonight? Some of God's people, you love Him passionately with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Inside you are in love. You are consecrated. You are devoted. Uh, It's time for it to bleed over into your public life. It's time for you to start talking a little more like a Christian, dressing a little more like a Christian. Get your music cleaned up where it's more Christ honor. You say, preacher, I do sincerely. I love God with all my heart. Okay, wonderful. Now let's get the outside to match the inside. Amen? Let's do that. Now, there's some others, perhaps, who on the outside look like a separated, consecrated Christian, but maybe the heart attitudes aren't what they ought to be. Let's address that. Amen? I said, well, I don't want to be a hypocrite, so I'm just going to dirty up the outside. No, that's not the answer. Amen. The answer is strengthen that which is weak. Don't weaken that which is strong. One final thought. Since I don't know another's heart, 
I should temper my opinions of how genuine others are or are not. Since I don't know another's heart, I should temper my opinions of how genuine others are or are not. Let me ask you a question. Is everything Solomon did after 11 disingenuous now? Was God not at all pleased with anything that happened from verse 12 down? That Solomon offered burnt offerings? That he did every day? That he did every holiday, all the feasts? That he appointed the service of the, te- the priests and the, the musicians and all? My answer would be, would be, no, I think, I, I think God was glad. I don't think God was glad that he married a gal he couldn't bring to church. But I think the Lord was glad that he still sacrificed. Right. Yes, sir. You, you, listen, listen. Let's, let's think about Saul for a minute. People say, well, Saul wasn't saved. Saul committed suicide. Fell on his own sword. First king of Israel, King Saul. He said, I don't believe Saul was saved. What are you going to do with this? When the Bible said in 1 Samuel, God, First uh, Samuel chapter 10 verse 6, it was prophesied, the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them, and shall be turned into another man. Verse 9, 1 Samuel 10, God gave him another heart, and the Spirit of God came upon him. 1 Samuel 28, 19, Tomorrow shalt thou and thy sons be with me. Saul got way away from God, eating up with envy. He had outlawed all the witches in the land. <laughs> But when he, when he couldn't get his prayers answered, because he, his heart wasn't right with God, he sought out a witch. Went down to Endor, found a witch. Said, I want to talk to Samuel. Samuel was dead already. <clears throat> he said, I want to talk to Samuel, because Samuel always had answers for me. He always told me the truth. And so the, the, the witch said, whatever. And Samuel actually showed up, and it, she went berserk. This wasn't, a, this wasn't a trick. Samuel showed up. You know what Samuel said? He said, tomorrow, he talked to Saul. He said, tomorrow shalt thou and thy sons be with me. Well, Samuel wasn't in hell. <laughs> Saul was a saved man. There were times in his life, First Samuel 19, for example, 23 and 24, where he is filled with the Holy Spirit prophesy, testify on his face all night, praying, weeping before God, just as genuine in his worship and his desire to be right with God as anybody in the same chapter, in verse number 10, 13 verses before, you know what he's doing? He's throwing a javelin at at David, trying to pin him to the wall. So attempted murder in verse 10, filled with the Holy Ghost, verse 23. He is spiritual schizophrenic. The truth is, most of us are too. Lot. Ain't no way Lot would say, man, do that kind of thing. Ooh, I don't even want to talk about it. Lot took his family down, pitched his tent toward Sodom, then was sitting in the gates of Sodom. And was there. His family didn't want to leave when they were getting ready to. The angel said, we're going to. Destroy this city where get out of here. Had to take him by the hand and grab him by the hand. Had to grab his family by the hand and say, get out. Uncle Abraham was praying for him. 
is a lot. It's a wicked man, father of two illegitimate sons through incest, became arch enemies of God's people. That man is wicked inside and out. And yet, what are you going to do with Second Peter chapter 2, verse 7 and 8? Just lot. Vexed. That word vexed, Webster's 1828, says provoked, irritated, troubled, agitated, disquieted, uneasy, restless. Just lot vexed his righteous soul from day to day with the filthy conversation of the wicked. That word conversation means conduct or behavior. Verse 8, for that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Lot was miserable in Sodom as long as he lived there. He watched, he saw the conduct, he heard the, the filth, the profanity, the cursing. He saw it, he heard it day after day, but he was justified, he was a saved man. He was miserable. Let me tell you the most miserable person in the world. It ain't somebody dying and going to hell, it's a saved person outside the will of God. That's the most miserable person in the world. And Lot vexed his righteous soul from day to day. Now, here, listen, listen to me. I'm not a very good judge of another man's heart. I'm not a very good judge of another man's heart. First Corinthians chapter 11, turn there, we'll close. First Corinthians chapter number 11. Next Sunday morning, next, uh, Monday, uh, Sunday morning, excuse me, next Sunday morning, we'll come to the Lord's table and share together communion with the Lord's Supper. The Bible said, verse 26, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord, unworthily, unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine whom? Himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily or irreverently, Eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Matthew twenty seven fifty two, that's talking about the death of the saved. Folks dying early because of irreverence in partaking of the Lord's Supper. God said this, if you're going to do that, you need to examine Yourself. Verse 31, for if we judge ourselves, we should not be judged. There's two, two things. Number one, I don't want to be a Pharisee. But number two, I don't want to react to Pharisees either. I was saved as an eight-year-old boy, so... Um, 46 years have been saved. 44 years have been saved. I've seen a few Pharisees. I've seen people shame the name of Jesus Christ because of their public separation while they were privately in all manner of wickedness. Now, I don't want to be a Pharisee. But the answer to not being Pharisee is dirty up the outside so it matches the dirty of the inside. I cannot judge the genuineness of anyone else's separation to God. 
I'm commanded to judge my own heart. Now, if you say, preacher, I love my heart, I love God, my God with all my heart, all my soul, I really, really do. Then you need to start asking yourself, am I separated outwardly? It may be you're separated outwardly, but there's some inner attitudes or things that you allow in your life. You would never bring to the house of God. But you've got a little place over here that dwells. You got it from Egypt. And you don't want to give it up. Some years ago, I wrote this poem I've read to you before. I don't want to be a, a Pharisee. While reading in God's holy word, a piercing thought to me occurred. A Pharisee is one who sees in thee what I've dismissed in me. How pricked my soul the spirit keen when with these words, with these his words that I had seen. So told I me, tis not from he, for surely I'm no Pharisee. Tis true, too long I've asked of you what I myself forgot to do, but Christian grace extends from thee to one like me so easily. You see, I have intentions grand, though things don't always go as planned. Could you now see my inward part? You'd know they come from from sincere heart. So would you hurry up and see that I'm as patient as can be? And listen, please, unselfishly as I extol the good in me. My character is now on top of Except, of course, when it is not. Mistakes, I make them here and there. And follow through is sometimes fair. Yet surely you can find the grace to find within your heart a place for one as humble as I am I, whose character is quite on pace. I'm always truthful, quite a lot. Well, only seldom I'm not. I always help, well, when I can. And if I can't, you understand. And I'm a generous one to boot, so liberal with all my loot. Why, just this morning, a wee one got from me my only lollipop. In recent years I haven't given, but to that end I have striven. And when my ship comes in one day, my back tithe I will surely pay. And oh, transparent I can be, just sometimes my facade you see. And thoughtful, oh, I am a lot, except of course when I am not. And patience, though surprised you'll be, is yet a struggle still for me. So please excuse my hasty words and other things you may have heard. And though I often hold my tongue, sometimes I'm forced to right or wrong and point out faults I see in others who claim to be one of our brothers. You see, extending grace to thee, well, it doesn't come so naturally. While grace sent hints from thee to me, why would it not come easily? For could you see my sincere heart, then you would know what others see that surely what you are I am not. And that would be a Pharisee. For though imperfect I might seem, I'm most like Christ I think you'll deem. Yes, all in all, I think I am a rather godly specimen. And so convinced I to myself that I was doing, oh, quite well compared to all the reprobates whose sins I'd blush to have to tell. Yet did that small, still voice persist. So I dug in. I must resist. For surely thought I to myself a Pharisee as someone else. Still pricked my soul, the spirit keen. Until the truth I now have seen, it makes me grieve inside to think that it's my attitude that stinks. Yes, far too often I've denied the beam protruding from my eye while counting toothpicks far and wide with oh such condescending pride. You see, the thought would not subside, though surely I must say I tried. Truth slowly settled deep within hypocrisy is yes, my sin. Yes, now, 
the truth of God's own word has spoken and my heart has heard. I've been captive to my pride, my attitude quite frankly snide. And so I fall on bended knee. Forgive me, Lord, for yes, I see. Tis I, a Pharisee, that do now pen these words for thee. I can't look at anybody else's heart, can I? I can only look at my own. I don't know about you, but I want to be devoted publicly. But I want to be devoted right here, too. Let's stand together, please. Father.